So we're going to be in Luke chapter 4, Lord willing. Uh, we're going to be looking at temptation, and I'm going to do my best to make it as practical as I can, because you have to understand that the, the attack that Satan made on Eve in the garden is the exact same attack, in a little different manner, on the Lord Jesus Christ. The same areas were attacked, which is the exact areas that he's going to attack you, or he is attacking you at. So... Those are the, these are the three areas that we need to be very mindful of and be aware of how to respond. So that's sort of the direction that we're going. So we're in Luke chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led of the Spirit into the wilderness, being forty days tempted of the devil. And in those days he did eat nothing. And when they were ended, he afterward hungered, Luke tells us. Now, Jesus certainly experienced a wonderful manifestation of God's calling in his life at his baptism, which is what we talked about last week. He was able to see the visible presence of the Holy Spirit, plus hear the audible voice of his Father from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now filled with the Spirit, he sets out to follow the Father. It is, in a way, the official anointing for his ministry. And the Spirit drives him in the wilderness. Now, to understand what's going on here, and I'm going to do this twice, I guess. In, in order for him to be a substitute for us, when he was in heaven, he voluntarily laid aside his authority, his power, his abilities. He didn't set aside his godhood nor did he not have any power. But the goal of his walk on the earth was to walk as we walk and to live a life as we live our lives. So he, he is endeavoring to live by trusting the Holy Spirit in his life and the Father's leading. So he's not making decisions on his own, as I understand it. Now, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 7 said, But he made himself of no reputation in the King James Version, and the Greek literally translates, he emptied himself of himself. He just set his own powers aside. I believe he could have picked them up anytime he wanted to. And I think that's a lot of what this temptation is. Are you going to trust me, the Father and the Holy Spirit say, or are you going to trust yourself? And that's what we're challenged with almost every day. Uh, especially yesterday. Are we going to trust our own abilities to solve these problems, or are we going to trust God? He made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. I don't think there was any time in his life that he wasn't God. I don't think there was any time in his life that he didn't know he was God. I just think he chose not to operate in the power of God. He had chosen only to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and follow the Father's leading. Jesus is going to learn to trust God in these trials. And a lot of people say it's a preparation for him for his future ministry. Now, Jameson's Fawcett Brown is one of the commentaries I refer to a lot. And he says the Holy Spirit's goal here is that Jesus' faith would be strengthened. That he would learn to walk the way you and I learn to walk. Which might be a little difficult for him. Being able to do anything ever he ever wanted. Uh, 
You know, I mean, if the devil came along to me and I was hungry and he said, make these stones bread, I would say, yeah, right. But to Jesus, he could do it, you see. You know, but Satan's goal in this temptation was to separate. This is still Jamison Falsett Brown was to separate Jesus from his allegiance to God. Understand that every time you're being tested, Satan's goal is to separate you from your allegiance to God. Am I going to trust God in this crisis or not? That's the question. And the second trip or trip in this trap is to get you to act in your own strength. Make these stones bread. You don't you don't need the father. Do this. So you can do this yourself. Why would you do something? Why would you wait on God for something that you can do for yourself? This is Satan's goal in every trial you face. He'll test you in these three areas that we'll come to. But every one of those tests is to get you to step out of your faith relationship with God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit and to act in your own strength. That's his purpose. Now, Jesus has experienced life as we know it, the good and the bad. And now we can read, as we do in Hebrews chapter 4, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. When you're tempted, know he's been tempted too. When you feel weak, know he's felt weak too. The writer of Hebrews writes, but was in all points tempted like as we are. In all points tempted, just like we are. I'll turn it around, it's easier for me to say like as we are. There's nothing you're going to face in this life that he hasn't faced. There's no temptation taking you, Paul said, but it's common to man. And God will provide a way of escape. Now the point that the writer of Hebrews makes in verse 15 of chapter 4 is he did this without sinning. Jesus was successful in every trial that he faced. I can't say that. Now some argue at this point, and this is getting maybe a little too theological, I don't know. That Jesus was, they argue that Jesus wasn't sure who he was. And part of this temptation is getting him to doubt who he is. That they, they say that they, they're, Satan is trying to get Jesus, the Son of God, to focus on his Son of Manship and not his Son of Godship, to kind of separate that that bond between deity and man, the God-man Jesus. I don't believe that. I don't believe there was ever a time when Jesus didn't know who he was. I just think there were times he chose not to act in power that he had. I believe that Satan thinks he can get Jesus. This is my opinion, not the commentators. I believe that Satan thinks that he can get Jesus to question God the Father's plan for his life. His goal is to get him to distrust the Father, which is exactly what Satan fell for himself. See, So he's tempting, I believe, Jesus in the same temptations that he was a failure in himself. To distrust God's program to redeem the world through the cross. Now, God didn't call me to redeem the world through the cross, but there are some things in my life that I've questioned the Father on, and I'll bet there's some things in your life that you've questioned the Father on, and I'll bet you had trouble at times trusting His plan for your life or His timetable or His choice, choices in your life or His leadership. That's exactly what I believe is happening to Jesus here. And Satan is trying to get Jesus, I believe, to take a shortcut. A shortcut for God's plan. Well, God wants you to be a king. Here, I'm going to offer you a kingdom. God wants you to be fed. Here, I'm going to show you a way you can be fed. God says he's your father. Here, we're going to make him prove it. These are the temptations that Jesus faced. And that's exactly what he does with you and I. 
He wants us to take a shortcut, the easy way to avoid the hardship of the faith walk in the Lord Jesus Christ. To act on his own. I believe every temptation you see is a temptation to act in your own strength, to act on your own and not trust the Father. And it's very difficult to discern faith from just being lazy. Trusting God from not doing anything for yourself. And it's hard to know when to act. It's hard to know what to do. Satan does this to the all, all does this to us all the time. He'll whisper in our ear, God doesn't really love you. Who do you think you are that you think God would even care for you? Look at you. Why would God help you? You need to give up on this faith thing and do it yourself. Satan will often whisper in your ear, stop waiting on God. God helps those who help themselves. That's not scripture, you know. It's not biblical. It's satanic. Jesus told us in John chapter 15 and verse 4, and I'm just going to read it to you. Abide in me and I in you. Stay where you're at in your simple trust in me, speaking to the disciples. Abide in me and I in you as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, itself except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. You're just like a tender little branch. And if you snap yourself off and go for a walk, all you're going to do is dry out. And there's a lot of dry branches walking around. I am the vine, ye are the branches. And by the way, that word does mean tender little shoot. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For, but, apart from, without me, for without me, the King James reads, you can do nothing. Step outside of your connection to Christ and in a spiritual realm, you can't do anything. Now, 40 days is a long fast. There's not... That many people, I think, that ever went on a 40-day fast, at least I don't think I've ever met anyone who has. I, I think I may have heard a guy say he did it once. I can't quite remember the history of that. If you went on a 40-day fast, you would prepare You would prepare for it. You wouldn't just stop eating for, you know, six weeks. So you would have spent a couple of weeks getting ready for today, and when you got ready to start your fast, you wouldn't eat again until February the 25th. That's a long time. Go without a drive-thru at McDonald's. I'm telling you, that's a long time. Now they say after a day or two, the hunger leaves you. Well, I've never done it more than three days, and I can tell you I didn't notice the hunger going anywhere for three days, but maybe it's true. I don't know. But they also say that when you're on an extended fast, when your hunger does return, you are very hungry. You're literally at your weakest point, and some people actually die doing this, you know. Now, Mark tells us something that's really related to this. You know, all the gospel writers include this temptation. Mark says just two verses that I'll read you. Uh, and immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. We've already read that in Luke. And he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted of Satan. So we, we, we emphasize, we read, the writers emphasize the last three temptations. But... During the entire time, he was being attacked by thoughts. But more than just thought, Mark thoughts, Mark adds, and was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered unto him. So he's out there in the desert by himself, unprotected, in a wild wilderness, and Satan is doing everything he can to make him as scared as he can make him, I'm sure. Still, Satan saved his three main attacks till the end. 
until the humanity of Jesus was physically at its weakest point, 40 days after waiting on God. I don't know if you've ever tried to get an answer from God and started praying and fasting, but to start praying now and fasting and waiting until February the 25th to get an answer is a long wait. And all the while, you know, in your ear, Satan is whispering, did God really say to you, you were his beloved son, that he was pleased with you? Is that really true? Didn't you, did you just make that up in your head? Are you sure you heard his mission and plan correctly that he really needs you to die? That you're going to be nailed to a cross and die? Why hasn't he come to your aid now? If he's going to help you then, why isn't he helping you now? Is he going to leave you here in this wilderness forever? And just like Eve, thousands, three, four, I don't know how many years, three, four thousand years earlier, did God really say, did God really say you were his son? Did God really say you can't eat of this tree? Did God really say that you would die if you touched this tree? And then he whispers in your ear, God is keeping something good from you. God doesn't want you to be happy. God doesn't want you to be wealthy. God doesn't want you to be like God, is what he told Eve. Eve loved God. She wanted to be like God. And when Satan said, you know, God knows that in the day that thou eatest thereof, you will surely die. And God knows that when you know good from evil, you'll be just like God. That, that was something she wanted. The point that Satan is making with Eve is that God's plan is flawed. He let you down and you can't trust him. Look. It looks good. It tastes good. It is good. It can't hurt you. Now Satan will attack Jesus in the same three areas and he attacks us the same way every time. John the Apostle warned us. He tells us to love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. He says if we love the world, it'll displace our love for the Father. We have to be careful of that. We have to be careful that God is number one in our lives. Not one of three. Not one of many, but number one, first and foremost. And then John goes on to write, For all that is in the world, the, the lust of the flesh, King James Version, desires the things that your flesh desires, the lust of your eyes, the thing you, things you see you want, like that shiny new truck or that brand new 40-foot sailboat, and the pride of life. This is not of the Father, but it's of the world. It's Satan's world system set up to draw your trust away from him. And the world is passing away. You can translate that dying. The world is at its end. And all the desires that are in the world. And the world passeth away and the lust thereof. But he that does the will of, the God, will of God will abide forever. You have a choice. Love the world and die with the world. Or love God and live forever. It's as simple as that. Eve failed this test. I think you've heard this story. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, man, that looked good. And was pleasant to the eyes. That's the prettiest fruit I've ever seen. There's nothing like that in the garden. And the tree was desired to make one wise. See, God's keeping knowledge from me. I, I always kind of chuckle at that because actually Satan was telling her the truth. He was keeping knowledge from her. She'd only known good. She'd only known health. She'd only known prosperity. She'd only known warmth. She'd only known success. That's all she'd ever known is good. She never knew anything bad. That's what God was keeping from her. 
just like we do with our children. We try to keep the bad from them, but they're determined to experience it. A tree to be desired to make one wash, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also to her husband. And that idiot ate all... No, that's not King James. And he did eat, is what the King James says. Now, Satan tricks us every time, doesn't he? How often we fail. God is keeping this thing from you, this thing you want. You will never be successful. You will never have that boat or that job or that truck or that thing that you want, that new house. You'll never get it. God will never bring it to you. You can't trust God to do what's best for you. Don't wait on God. Do it yourself now. Give up on this stupid faith thing. Eve failed this test, but Jesus doesn't. Now the first area that he's tested in is in verse 3, the lust of the flesh. Right about now, his stomach is thinking, you know, I'm hungry. Forty days is a long time to go without food, Father. I'm getting hungry. And the devil said, if... Now, yeah, I don't want to get in a Greek lesson, but there are four conditional statements in the Greek. And Satan is going to use two of them. This is the first class condition, and it's if and you are. There's if and you're not. And there's if and you probably are. And there's if and you're probably not. Now, we just say if. We let people figure out what we mean when we say it in English. But the Greeks didn't do that. Now, it's interesting here that Satan would use a first-class condition and say, if and you are the Son of God. I know you are. I know you can do that. There's a, there's, look at that stone there. It looks like a bagel, doesn't it? Turn that stone into a bagel. You know, And look over there. You could make cream cheese right there. And you could have, you'd be ready to go. Why would you wait? And the devil said, if and you are the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. Now there's no ifs involved in it. Satan understood it and Jesus understood it. When Jesus prayed his high priestly prayer in John 17, listen to what he said to the Father about himself. Listen to what he said to the Father about himself. People say Jesus wasn't sure he was God. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. He knows who he is. Satan knows who he is. But he gave up this exalted position and he made himself of no reputation. Emptied himself of himself literally in the Greek and took upon him the form of a servant. One day he got up from his throne and he took off that royal robe and he kicked off those golden sandals and he said, I'm ready. Make me a baby. I'll tell you, that had to be something. I, that's a story I'm looking forward to hearing someday. What it's like to be God of gods, Lord of lords, King of kings, and all of a sudden wake up in a manger, a feeding trough. You know, he probably never smelled cow poop in his life until that morning. I bet he made a face. He laid aside his divine powers and his exalted position for the simple purpose to become a human because he had to become a human in order to die for our sins. People say, oh, that's a bloody religion. It is a bloody religion. It's horrible. Sin is horrible. Death is horrible. And Jesus endured it for us. The test now is to stop waiting on God and use your own power. Do it yourself. Pick yourself up by your own bootstraps, man. 
And Jesus answered him and said, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Now, it's interesting from the standpoint of just uh, Jesus' memory habits. Uh, I honestly think that he knew the entire Bible cover to cover, even the stuff that hadn't been written yet and could have quoted, quoted the entire Bible to you. So I'm not surprised that he's quoting sections out of Deuteronomy chapter 8. But if anybody else were doing it, I'd be a little surprised. Uh, Jesus is actually quoting this response, you know, uh, from Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 2, where Moses is telling the Jews, And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God hath led thee these forty years in the wilderness. Now it's interesting that he would connect his forty days of starvation in the desert with the Jews' forty years of wandering in the wilderness. I don't know if you've made that connection yet in your own mind there. But listen to the purpose that God the Father, this is from Moses talking to the Jews, before he dies and before they go into the promised land. And thou shalt remember all the ways that the Lord God led you these 40 years in the wilderness and the purpose. I'm in verse 2 of Deuteronomy 8 if you want to write that down. The purpose was to humble you and to test you and to know what was in your heart. Why am I going through this? This is the answer. Why doesn't God do something? This is the answer. He wants to humble you that you know you're determined you're going to wait on Him. He wants to prove that there's genuine faith in you. And He wants to know what is in your heart, what you really think, whether that would keep His commandments or no. And He humbled you, Moses said, and suffered you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you didn't even know what it was, and neither did thy fathers know, in order that He might make thee know that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Wow, what a response. Now you know, I believe, that with just the breath of his own breath, he could have blown Satan into another dimension. He could have evaporated him. And the fact that he tolerated Satan is absolutely remarkable to me. And Jesus says to Satan, no, I'm going to trust my dad. I'll just sit here and I'll be hungry and I'll starve if I have to starve. I'm not going to do it on my own. I'm not going to pick up my will from his will. I'm going to wait here without food until he tells me to eat. I'm going to seek his will. I'm going to follow his plan. And I'm going to put him first. And I'm going to trust him for the rest that's going to follow. And it's interesting because when you think about it, it isn't too long after this that he's going to make this speech that we call the Sermon on the Mount. And in that speech, he's going to tell us. He's going to, you know, he, he wouldn't be able to tell us this if he hadn't have done it himself. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. You know, it's funny how we don't believe that. We really do not want to put God first and pursue His will for our life only. His, his will, His will, His will only, and trust that God will provide the rest. But He will, because there's enough people that have tried it, and we found it to be true. They're not starving out in some wilderness for their whole lives. Yeah, they go through a period of testing, but the truth is, eventually God gives it all to you. Everything you ever wanted, God will give you. But He has to be first. He has to be first. But because of this stand that He took that day, He can say to us, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Coming in a new direction, the second one, testing him on the lust of the eyes. 
He's, Satan is going to offer him all the power and glory of the earthly kingdom. So you want to be a king? You want to be the king of kings? You want to be the king of my world? Because this is Satan's world. And boy, are we starting to see that. Jesus said he's the God of this world. He said the God of this world cometh and has nothing in me. Satan was cast down to earth. And it wouldn't have been his world if Adam hadn't given it to him. But he did. Adam was given dominion. Satan took that fruit, whatever it was, and handed dominion right over to Satan. And the devil took Jesus up on a high mountain. I'm in verse 5 now in Luke 4. And showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. People say, well, how did he do that? I don't know. You know. These guys are operating in a realm that I don't even begin to understand. But I believe it happened. I've laid in bed and woke up with an image in my mind that's so clear. Wow. How did that, where did that come from? And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give you, and the glory for them. For that is delivered unto me, and whomsoever I will, I give it. Now, you know, it would have been good for Jesus to say, you're just a lying old devil. You're never going to do anything you promised. It would have been even better if he said, this isn't your world, it's mine. And just evaporated him right there. But then none of us would be here to enjoy heaven and eternity. The devil says, if you want to be a ruler of the world, all you've got to do is bow down and worship me and all of this is yours. You know, he, he offers that to world leaders. He offers that to up-and-coming musicians. He offers that to wannabe millionaires. All of this will be yours if you'll just bow down and worship me. I heard a guy once that was being interviewed. He was, I don't know, serving you know 75 consecutive life sentences or something for something. He thought he was killing somebody to make Satan happy. And he said, Satan promised me power. And Satan promised me joy. And Satan promised me all these things if I just do this horrible deed. And he said, I did it. And Satan didn't do anything that he said. He said, Satan's a liar. He's been doing that for centuries. Kings, princes, governors, presidents, they all believe that lie. Jesus could have short-circuited it right there. It would have done us all good, I suppose. But he didn't. He took the pain of the temptation. This, by the way, is a third-class condition. If, and you probably will, you bow down. If, and you probably will, you're probably weak enough to fall for my tricks. You know, if you bow down and serve me, you won't have to go to the cross. You won't have to die and suffer. All you got to do is acknowledge me as the king, your king. All you got to do is turn your back on God and trust me, and I'll give you all this stuff. All the kingdoms of the world power, riches, world domination, success, glory, money. I can give you that. I am the God of this world. Just recognize my primacy here. Ignore the Father's plan. You want to be a king? You can have it all right now without the cross. How many millions of our own people have fallen for that same temptation? Instant riches, surrender to me and you can have all my power. Worship me and become anything you want. A great singer, a famous actor, rich, powerful, happy beyond belief. None of it's true. But he'll give it to you for a little while. And then that thing you wanted the most will become like a canker worm and eat your soul. You'll learn to hate the thing you wanted so badly because it's tainted with him, Satan.
And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and Him only shall thy serve. Again, Jesus is quoting Moses in Deuteronomy. Uh, I'm in chapter 6 of Deuteronomy, if you're, if you're taking notes in verse 10. And shall be, Moses goes on and says, I'm in Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. I guess there wasn't, like, I guess if he quoted references from the New Testament, it would confuse people, wouldn't it? Because there wasn't one yet. And it shall be when the Lord, the, and when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into a land which he swore unto the fathers. Now they weren't in the land yet. Moses couldn't go in the land because he'd blown it. But the time will come when you go into the land, Moses says, because he promised it to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He's going to give you great and goodly cities which you didn't build, and houses full of good things which you didn't build, and wells already digged, past tense of dig, I don't know, which thou diggest not, don't know that verb either, that's older than me, vineyards and olive trees which you didn't plant, when thou shalt have eaten and be full, when you walk into that beautiful promised land and all that property's there and all those gardens in there and all that food's there and it's already been planted and all that money's already in your bank account. When you're eaten in full, then beware, Moses says. Boy, is that a message to the United States of America. Lest thou forget the God which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Do you remember where you came from, pilgrim? And then Moses closes that passage with, Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve Him. And that's what Jesus said. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and Him only shalt thou serve. This is often our greatest failure in life, isn't it? Our pursuit of money, our pursuit of the right house or careers or success and leisure and pleasure to distract us from our personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. The real reason that God put us here was to worship and serve Him, not build fancy houses. And the third temptation, the pride of life. It seems like Satan wants to force God to prove himself. I don't know if there's a connection here between fleeces or not. Lord, if, if you really want me to go over to Africa, uh, Lord, give me a new car. If I have a new car, I'll know that's what you want. I don't know. I don't know if that's tempting God or not. But this certainly was. Verse 9, And he brought it to Jerusalem, set him on a pinnacle of a temple, and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. For it is written, all of a sudden now Satan's quoting Scripture. You know, just because the preacher's quoting Scripture, don't assume that he's of God. We've got a biblical reference here of Satan quoting Scripture. That ought to scare you to death. Because he can take that scripture and twist it to anything he wants. And the only way you're going to defend yourself against that is to know the whole book. To know the implications and the applications of the whole book. And know that even though that, that particular verse seems to say this one thing, you know that's not necessarily true. For it is written, Satan said. I bet that perked up Jesus. Tired and hungry as he was, he probably thought, oh great, here we go. Now he's going to quote my book to me. For it is written, He shall give His angels charge over thee to keep thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou shalt dash thy foot against a stone. Jump off. The Word promises He'll protect you. Wow. 
What a passage. I don't know if you've read Psalm 91 recently, and honestly, I, I thought about reading the entire thing. But you need to make a note of it. You need to go back and read it for yourself. It's an amazing, amazing psalm about how God protects and cares for us. I'm going to read just four verses of it. This is right in the middle. Verse 9 of Psalm 91.9. Psalm 91.9. Because you have made the Lord your refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation. I never thought of this as a messianic psalm. I see it as a promise to us. But it's both. Because you've made Him your refuge, even the Most High God, your habitation. There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. For they, they shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. What a marvelous promise. Scary thought. Satan quoting scripture. Understand he has servants who can twist and pervert these scriptures just as well as he does. And they can confuse you and weaken your faith by quoting these scriptures to you and get you so confused. Hopefully it will get you so confused we get back in our Bible and start reading again. He has preachers. Satan has preachers. Satan has missionaries. Satan has teachers. And they're all working for him. We have to know enough of the overall message of scriptures that we recognize when they're being twisted and distorted. I remember the first time I got involved in a discussion with a Mormon missionary. Wow! Did he know the Scriptures? And boy, did I not. Man, he ate my lunch. And Jesus answered and said to him, as said, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again, Jesus is quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is Moses telling the Jews, "Ye shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people which are round about you. That's an interesting statement. Now, you know, to the Jews getting ready to go in the promised land, they were getting ready to go in a land that was so pagan that God had already condemned them all to death. They were so disgusting that we can't even talk in pleasant company what the kind of their practices, the way they were. They were the most barbaric and disgusting people that had lived in that period of time. But if you take this and apply that to us, and it says, you shall not go after other gods of the gods of the people which are round about you, ask yourself, what are the gods of the people that are round about us? And then ask yourself, church, why are we going after the same things they are? Is not their God money and success and power and science? Is not their God everything that we see around us? For the Lord, this is Moses again, for the Lord your God is jealous. Be careful that His anger of the Lord be not kindled against you and destroy you from off the face of the earth. Which, by the way, He did with the Jews. You shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted Him in, the, in, in Messiah. And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed it from him for a season. Yeah, he's coming back, Jesus, and you know it. But now Jesus is, well, I, I started to say Jesus has learned some things, so probably not. 
Can God learn anything? Probably not. If you're omniscient, you already know everything. But maybe, I don't know if he's learning how to operate in this bag of bones that he's walking around in or not. I really don't. It'd be interesting to hear him say, what, 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 what was it like? You know? What was it like? You know? Your first day on the job there. As soon as you could walk, did you get up and cook breakfast for your mom? Did you need to learn anything? I don't know. I'm assuming he did. I am convinced that Jesus, in his own strength, could have destroyed Satan at any point in this whole discussion with one word, which is something we can't do. He, he could have exercised his omnipotent power and destroyed him and ended the whole problem forever, but that wasn't the plan. That wasn't the Father's plan. Jesus chose to trust the Spirit to fight his battles for him, and he used God's word, not his own, to defeat him. And in so doing, he's demonstrated for us a way to stand against temptation. And I'm not done with this, but I have these three things. First of all, when facing a temptation or a problem, a statement of faith, I'm going to trust God first and foremost. I may not know how to trust him in this. I may not know what to do, but I'm going to trust him. With everything in me, I'm going to do the best I can to trust him. First of all, faith. Secondly, obedience. I'm going to follow the instructions that I have until I get more. So that means if he said go into this wilderness and don't eat anything, I'm not going to eat anything until he tells me to eat something. And if that means I starve, I starve. I remember one time down in Chattanooga, I hit that little obstacle. I felt like I was going to fail. And I couldn't get past the obstacle until I was willing to say, if I fail, I fail. But I'm going to keep going with you, Lord, until I can't keep going any further. Now, the worst thing for me at that time wasn't starving to death. I've been overweight ever since I quit smoking. I really could have stood to starve a little. My problem was that I was struggling financially and struggling with everything that was going on around me. And I felt like I was going to fail. And when I failed, that meant I'd have to go back home to my family and say, I failed. I couldn't do it. I couldn't trust God. I didn't go back home. That's the good news. God was waiting for me to say that. I remember walking down the street that time with a broken tool in my hand. Thinking, God... I don't know what's going on here, but if I have to go home and fail and tell everybody that you let me down, I'll do it if I have to, because I'm not going to quit. That was the day he began to turn things around. But I had to get to that point. Obedience. And the final thing is Scripture. Scripture's our offensive weapon. It's the only thing we can really use against Satan. It's the Word of God. Of course, that means we have to know it. But more importantly, we have to believe it. Quoting what God said. Stop Satan every time. Interesting that the Son of God is quoting Scripture to the devil. <laughs> I don't know. I, I hope there's videos of this. You know, I really do. Although, it might be frightening. I don't know. I don't know what it would be like. Stick to your faith. Obey God until He has completely failed you and you can't go on any further. And then stay there until you die. That's the message. Know your scriptures. That's the only way to fight back. Let's pray. 
Thank you, Father, for this day, for this opportunity to share your scriptures, your word with your people. And I thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.